Setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. And we remained in this city some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized and her household as well, she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. She followed Paul and us crying out, these men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house, and he, shook them, and he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. And then he brought them up into his house, and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. But when it was day, the magistrates sent the police saying, let those men go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul saying, the magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, they have beaten us publicly, uncondemned, men who are Roman citizens and have thrown us into prison. 
And do they now throw us out secretly? No, let them come and take us out. The police reported these words to the magistrates and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. So they came and apologized to them and they took them out and asked them to leave the city. So they went out of the prison and visited Lydia and when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. Acts 16, 11 through 40. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the amazing things that you did with Paul and Silas and the other apostles and disciples when you were building your kingdom in the early days. I thank you now for what you're doing here in Lawrenceville amongst us, disciples of Jesus who are partaking in building your kingdom here. And Lord, I pray for Ryan this morning as he opens up this text to us and and shows us the truth of it. I pray, Lord, that you would silence his voice and magnify your own. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Today we, we reach this instance where, where Paul and his companions uh, with him are, are Silas and Timothy and, and Dr. Luke who wrote the book of Acts. And, and they're together uh, journeying and they have this call. You remember last week we talked about this call from Macedonia, uh, for, the, for the churches that are in Macedonia. And so he passes up these other places because he's so drawn to what God has for him in Philippi, uh, in the Macedonian region, which is where Philippi's at. And, and so here they are, they get there, and it's, it's, uh, it's pretty, we can realize pretty quickly uh, that it was a good idea for Paul to obey God, right? I mean, we show up and the Holy Spirit is all over this work. And, uh, and so today we're going to be just looking at, at this idea of how of how God saves people and what it looks like to be lost and how you can be found. Because what we have in this passage of Scripture is, is some of the most diverse people that you could ever imagine. Not just ethnically, um, not just socioeconomically, but even in how they deal with sin and how they're saved and redeemed out of sin, and even how Paul and his companions share the gospel with them. It's multifaceted. And that is what the church is. It's for, it's for sinners who have multifaceted sin, and it's, it's through a Savior who's able to save us to the other most. No matter how lost we are, we all need the same grace. That's the big idea of where we're going. And so as I was thinking about this, I was thinking about my own journey uh, into, uh, into the faith and, uh, and that of Megan's as well as we were talking on the sofa last night. And... Uh, here, my first experience with the church, maybe you can think of yours as well, was a bit, how do I say this, disruptive, okay? Uh, I, didn't, I didn't grow up in the church, uh, and, and so my friends had invited me to a revival at Corinth Church. It was out in the country, pretty close to where I lived in Kentucky, and, and uh, they invited me into this revival, and we sat in the back, and uh, we were just... We were pretty disruptive. Okay, so here's the story. I was sitting next to this kid named Boo Boo. <laughs> I can't make this stuff up. I don't know uh, why his name was Boo Boo, but I've got some ideas. Uh, so anyway, uh, you know, I was sitting next to Boo Boo, and he was making me laugh, and the preacher is up there preaching, and the kids are like in the back. And all of a sudden, uh, the, the guy who works with youth comes up from his seat and he comes back and he says, you guys got to get out of the church right now. And I'm thinking, you kicking us out of church? 
It, it took me like 15 years to come to church, and now you're kicking me out? Anyway, so we got kicked out of church. And as Boo Boo and I were out there, he, he lights up a cigarette and starts smoking. And, uh, and, I'm, and all of a sudden, it just kind of hits me. Man, I'm lost. I, I just got kicked out of church. I am lost. What am I doing with my life? Sitting there talking and telling, telling the story to, to Megan last night, and, and, and we were thinking about her story. Now, Megan's story is different. She was raised in the church. Guys, literally a Bible drill champion in our midst. Can you believe that? She's got trophies to prove it. I don't know where they're at, but I wish I could find them. Her story uh, is, is, is different, but kind of similar. She grew up going to church, grew up memorizing the Bible, had all this stuff stored away in her mind, but it had never touched her heart. She was 20 before she would acknowledge that she came to saving faith in Jesus. And then all of those passages that she had stored up and all that experience in church that she had was just kind of activated into her heart. Now, why do I share these with you? Lostness takes on many different forms, doesn't it? We're, we're, we all come to faith in different ways. Uh, hearing and believing grace takes on many approaches as well. Uh, but the end game is, is the same. It's this, that, that the lost would be found. In fact, Jesus said that, said that the whole purpose He came was to seek and save the lost. Let's turn quickly as we, as we get into this to Luke 15, which Luke 15 is, is these stories and parables about lost things. Jesus wanted to t tell us a lot about lost things. So He says this in Luke chapter 15, verses 3-7. through 7. So He told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go find the one that is lost? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, and he says to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Jesus has been pursuing the lost since He stepped on the scene. God has been pursuing the lost since He created the world. The Holy Spirit has been seeking to save that which is lost. The question is, do we know what it looks like to be lost? You see, there... What I'm going to look at in Acts 16 today is just some different profiles of what it looks like to be lost. Now, I think we think about that term as a negative connotation. Like, how could you call someone lost? I'm just simply identifying what is true in the Scriptures. And, and when, we, when we think about this idea of lostness, uh, we really ought to consider it in our own hearts this morning. I think many times we... We make assumptions about where we are with God and we base it on the wrong things. And so it's, this message is really a personal challenge to each of us, but it's also a challenge to how we live among our neighbors and our coworkers and our friends. So for Jesus, the key issue was not how lost are you. That's our issue sometimes, isn't it? Oh, can you believe that guy? He's one of those. Can you believe what he did? I mean, that's what we think. Oh, no, he's really lost, Ryan. You don't understand. He's super lost. Like there's degrees of lostness or something. For Jesus, there's two categories. There's lost and there's found. And those are the two categories. 
For Jesus, the key is repentance. He says, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents, thus being found, than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. What he was indicating is that there is a temptation inside of each of us, a draw to think that we are more righteous on our own than we actually are. And Jesus presses this in and on and on. So let's dig into Acts chapter 16 and just look at these different profiles of lost people. So Acts chapter 16, verses 11 through 15. Here, here's the first one. Church-going lostness. You're like, Ryan, what in the world are you talking about? Church-going lostness. This is Lydia. You know what Jesus does? Jesus kicks open quasi-open hearts. Do you know what a quasi-open heart is? It's a church-going heart. It's a, it's, it's, a, it's a righteousness that says, hey, I go to church, look at me. But it doesn't involve repenting of your sin and following Jesus with all you are. It has the appearance of being found without the power of staying found. So who do we have here? We have, I'm not going to read all the way through this passage. It's a massive passage. Um, but I'm just going to summarize it. Who do we have here? we got Lydia is here. Now Lydia is... Uh, uh, she's not from Philippi, but she does business in Philippi, and she has a house there. Um, you know, maybe, maybe she's got houses all over the place. I don't know. She seems kind of like a fashionista, and uh, she's a dealer in purple goods. So she's kind of the fashion queen of the day, and she finds good business in Philippi. And, uh, and uh, she's, so she's doing business here. Now, Lydia is a religious person. She's interested in God. In fact, she's so interested in God that there, there wasn't a quorum in the city of Philippi, meaning 10 Jewish men to be able to start a synagogue there, uh, that she started her own Bible study outside of the city gates, and it was filled with women. So what, what happens is Paul rolls up uh, and his companions, Silas, Timothy, and Luke, and, and they're, they're, they're strolling through Philippi. God's given them this massive call, this draw, very clear that they're supposed to be in Philippi. And they get there and they don't find a synagogue, which has been Paul's typical path as he goes to spiritually interested people, people of peace he's seeking, and he shares with them the gospel. Tells them how they can be made righteous. He doesn't find that there, so he goes and he finds this, this group of women that are reading the Hebrew Bible outside of the city. Uh, she was, uh, as the scriptures say, a worshiper of God, meaning she was a Gentile who studied the Hebrew Bible uh, she, she wasn't Jewish, she didn't become Jewish, but she was a Gentile, studied the Hebrew Bible, and was interested. In fact, Lydia was like a, ch a church planner in Philippi. She, she really wanted to know God. So, um, you know, uh, there's a church kind of prayer group that's been started there, and, uh, and Paul meets them there. And, and what we see about Lydia is this, is that she was open to religion, but the problem was religion doesn't save you know what I mean by this? Religion is the lean inside of each one of us um, that asks the, wrong, the right question uh, but finds the wrong solution. Let me explain that. It asks the right question, and it asks this question, uh, how do I get to God? That's the question that religion asks. And that's the question that, this is why you're here this morning. You want to know how you get to God. Many of us know the truth of how we get to God. Some of us don't yet. So it asks the right question, how do I get to God? I know that I'm separate from God, how do I get to Him? But religion, it finds the wrong solution in itself. It says this, if I just participate in these religious activities, I'll have the relationship. 
I'll have the relationship if I can just participate. But in our pursuit of it, you know what we find when we're religious? We never get the confidence that we're after because we never know if we meet up to the standard or not. We, we never know if we're enough. How much religious activity does it take? How much money do I need to give to have the assurance that I need that I'm actually saved and I belong to God? The Gospel says this. The, the message that Paul came to share with this women's Bible study says this. That you cannot get to God on your own. The gap is far too wide. You've underestimated how far the gap is by propping yourself up with religious activity. Now, <clears throat> religious people hate to hear this because it makes all of their religious efforts seem pointless, doesn't it? Why should I even try God? Why should I even obey? Why should I even go to church? Why should I even be around the church? Why should I even give? Why should I sacrifice? We ask these questions when we're religious. It's like the parable of the of, the, of the, the, the two lost sons, the prodigal son. There's the one that knew he was lost and the one that didn't know he was lost. And the one that didn't know he was lost was really frustrated when the father found the other one, wasn't he? He said, hey, why didn't you kill a fattened calf for me? I never got the ring, the robe. I never got the party. What's the father say? Hey, son, you've been with me the whole time. All you had to do is ask. Religion doesn't see that grace, though. All it sees is self. But the truth of the Gospel is that Jesus had to come do all the work for us. He had to come close the gap. In His life, in His death, in His resurrection. And by faith, we, we get that. So, so what, what would have Paul's conversation look like with Lydia? Well, his, his approach was just that. It was a rational conversation. Let's look at verses 13 and 14 in, in chapter 16 here. Uh, the Scriptures say this, And on the Sabbath day we went outside the gate to the riverside, this is the, the, the companions, where we supposed there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. They're just kind of kicking it, having a conversation. They're, they're talking about God. They're all interested in God. Now, uh, when one uh, who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, and a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord, listen to this, who opened her heart? The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said from Paul. She was seeking a relationship with God. And all Paul did was come along and tell her how to get to Him. Isn't that what it means to testify, to be a witness of God's work in our life? That's evangelism, church. You're just one beggar trying to tell another beggar where to find the bread. That's what it means to share the gospel. We're, we're all seeking God. Everyone that you know is seeking God. I don't care if they're atheists or not. In fact, this, this past week, we, I, do, I uh, participated in a faith at work study at a, at a local business, and there was a lady uh, that, that is a part of that that, that left, and, and she went on to another, uh, she moved on to another place. But one of the things that she told us was this, hey, look, I came in to this company um, as an atheist, and I, I hated God, and I hated the church because of what had happened to me in the church, and through my family that said they were Christians. But now after I've heard about the grace of God, I'm open to Jesus again. I'm open. I'm open. Did we see her converted? we see her life absolutely transformed? No, but we saw the door propped open a little bit more. Through what? Through a rational conversation about who Jesus is. We testified week in, week out. And God is doing things in her life. So how did He open her heart? Paul began to explain, you know, all these things that you're looking at with Abraham and Moses and the law. How do all of those things find their fulfillment? It's all in Jesus. 
That's how you get to God. You can't do it on your own. And, and somehow, some way, some shape, some form, she responded to that through God opening her heart. And that's what it takes to respond to the gospel. It doesn't matter how lost you are. When God wakes up your heart, all of a sudden the things that you thought were just kind of baloney, all of a sudden seem like good news. That's when you know the Holy Spirit is working in your life or through the ministry that you're part of. Is that all of a sudden, the, you, you keep proclaiming the gospel and all of a sudden it's just like it just clicks. And you don't know how it happens. Well, the scriptures tell us that it happens because that person's given a new heart. In Ezekiel 36, 37, it talks about this idea of God taking out the heart of stone and replacing it with a heart of flesh. A heart that is open to the work of Jesus on our behalf. And for some of you, God is doing that in your life right now. Your heart is becoming more and more soft toward Jesus. You may have been showing up for a long time, but you've never really given him your life. And so it's happening. God's kicking open the door more and more. And we get to this place where, where conversion actually happens. And so what were the implications of, of, uh, of the gospel coming to bear on Lydia's life? Well, uh, the, the bottom line is this. The church going lost must be convinced that their religion will not give them the security they desire. So, so your friends and your neighbors that go to church, um, they need the gospel just as much as the people that don't go to church. In fact, they probably need the gospel more, right? Some of the most hopelessly lost people are in pews this morning. And they're stacking up their religion over and over and over again. Listen, church people need the gospel. Just because your neighbor goes to church, just because your husband goes to church, we need the gospel. All right? We all need it. So what happened when God opened her heart? There were some very practical things that happened that I think come into play for us. When the Lord opens Lydia's heart to grace, he opened up her whole life. When he opened, when he opened up her heart, he opened up her obedience. What does she do immediately? She gets baptized. She wants to identify with the risen Jesus. Religion is not enough anymore. She needs the power of the gospel in her life, and Jesus said you should be baptized. She's baptized. Some of us have things in front of us that we need to obey right now, and, and we're not doing it. Um, and, and the power of the Holy Spirit has come to help you obey. Um, in, in fact, it is, it, is, it is easier than disobeying to, to live in right relationship with God and to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit in our lives. When we're in right relationship with God, obedience, even though it doesn't make sense all the time, is easy. Because it's, it's, it's the one place that we have the promise of the Holy Spirit to help us. is to obey the commands of God. Uh, the second thing we see is this, her home is open for hospitality. Open heart, open home. All of a sudden, all the things that she has accumulated through her wealth and her business are in play for the advance of the gospel. Now, see, I think the church has done a poor job of talking about uh, the, the role of work uh, in the life of Christians. This is a good example here. Have you made a lot of money? Has God blessed your business? How are you using that to advance the kingdom? The stuff isn't bad. It's how you, the place you put the stuff in your life. And, and if, if the stuff, I've told you guys about my truck before, right? I like a truck. I have a truck. People ask to borrow it, and I'm like, oh, I don't want to borrow it. You got to let them borrow it, you know, because the truck doesn't belong to you, right, Mike? Mike's got a truck too. <laughs> Hit him up. Um, no, I can't. That's good, right? 
It all belongs to God. Whatever God wants to do with it. For Lydia, she opened her home. She, she had a big enough house to put these four, four missionaries in. And I think they, they came back after they had been beaten. Did you see that at the end of Acts 16? They wanted to come back. What else does God open? He opens her purse and her wallet. You know the church at Philippi was known as like one of the most generous churches. Do you know why I think it was known as that? Because of Lydia. I think Lydia started this ethos and this culture of generosity in that church that never stopped. In fact, they funded the mission to Thessalonica. We see that uh, in the scriptures. Lydia is now likely for, for funding much of the missionary journeys through her wealth. Money isn't bad. It's just the place that it takes in your life. Are you a conduit of God's resources? Or are you the, you the vault that holds them? Because God takes them away when you're just the vault that holds it, and they choke your life out. Just talk to any, I mean, have you guys seen all of the, the, the folks that are filthy rich and are committing suicide and things like that? I mean, it will take your life away physically when you hold on to God's stuff with a closed fist. So what's it look like for you to be a conduit of God's resources? To just, to just let it pass through your hand wherever God calls it to go. The tension that we'll face is this, is that the generosity of your life is directly related to our aware, awareness of God's generosity toward us. That'll always be the tension. When we're most aware of how generous God has been toward us, we're most generous with the things that God entrusts with us. We're stewards. When we're least aware, we're least generous. All right, we've got to keep moving. Let's look at the second story. There's, there's this slave girl. So let's look at enslaved lostness. Jesus frees tormented hearts. Now, this girl couldn't be any different from Lydia. You know, the, the, the Paul and his companions are headed out of Philippi to the place of prayer to meet up with the, the women's Bible study again. And, uh, and along the way, there's this, this girl that comes and, and she starts kind of, she, she seems tormented and she starts troubling the disciples for many days, it says. Um, She's mocking these men. She's actually saying something that's true. You know, what, what does she say in, in chapter 16? She says, um, uh, these men are servants of the Most High God. This is verse 17 here. Who proclaim to you the way of salvation. A very true statement, right? But what the disciples notice is that it become, becomes clear that this, this lady is deeply hurting. She's the most vocal uh, and, and opposed to Jesus with her persistent, but it's a cover for the deep pain that she feels inside of her life. Her lostness looks different. She's tormented by this evil spirit. And her owners make her fortune, their fortune, um, by having her tell fortunes. Um, I don't have time to go down that today, but that's a thing too, okay? Um, so this would be a similar situation uh, to someone who's in deep physical or spiritual oppression in our day, uh, such as, you know, I know a few of you are involved with, uh, with, the, with the sex trafficking stuff that happens in Atlanta. It's like one of the hubs for the world it's happening right here, right here, not just in downtown Atlanta, in Gwinnett County. It, it's happening here. And, and, and I, what we see here is, is a systemic and structural oppression. Now sometimes our, our response to this as Western individualistic Americans is, 
Hey man, why didn't she just choose to get out of it? Can't she just leave? Why does she just leave that and, and leave those guys and get out of there? We don't understand that she can't. She needs a different source of power. She does not have the power in and of herself. And so what does Paul do? He comes to her in the name of Jesus, the one that has power over the enemy. And that's how she's redeemed. You know, in, in uh, Acts 16, 17, and 18, it says that Paul became annoyed. As you look at the Greek, the better, the better word really is grieved. Paul became grieved by what he saw in her. And, um, and he taps into this power that he has as an ambassador of God in the name of Jesus, and he commands that spirit to, to come out of here. So I, I want to pause right there for a second. So evil spirit, demon possessed, does this still happen today? Does it still happen today? Why would we think it doesn't happen today? Still happens today. Does it look different in America? Yeah, a lot of times it does. In other parts of the world, not so much. We know that the enemy is still working all around us, but we also know that the Father has given Jesus all authority over all creation and all spirit, spiritual realm. You read in Ephesians chapter 6, we just kind of you just kind of toss that up to the, um, the spiritual warfare kind of language, but powers and principalities and kingdoms, I mean, you read that language, there's more, far more going on than we'll ever know. And Jesus has power there too. In Revelation, in John's apocalypse, uh, we see Jesus as victorious and his followers as conquerors. Um, but in Revelation, we get insight into the battle that's all around us. If you've got a Bible, flip open to Revelation chapter 12. We're going to look at verses 7 through 12. This talks about what happened before the world was created. The battle that was going on then, which then gives us insight into the battle that's going on now. You know, God didn't just create humans. He actually created angels too. And what is the purpose of a redeemed angel? It's to minister to God's people, right? To worship Jesus, to worship God, and to minister to God's people and to protect God's people. It's the whole reason he created these beings. Now, what we read here is that not all of those angels are redeemed. There was a great fallout that happened. Let's read Revelation 12, verse 7. Now, war arose in heaven. Michael, he's one of the good guys, and his angels are fighting against the dragon. What we see about the dragon is that it's a reference to Satan. And the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated. And there was no longer any place for them in heaven. So you got a bunch of displaced, fallen, sinful angels. Where do you think they go? The great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth. You hear that? He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation and get this, the power. When you're dealing with the enemy, you need power. The salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of His Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered Him. So how do we conquer? He's been thrown down 
he's messing with us now. Sometimes we see it, most of the time we don't. How do we conquer? By the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they love their lives not even to death. Even unto death. Therefore, rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath because he knows that his time is short. He's mad. Now, we can make these little caricature devils all day long, but the reality is he's all around. Boy, he, well, let me take that back. He's only in one place. So very few, very few people have ever been tempted by the devil themselves. He's not omnipresent. He's not omniscient. He's not omnipotent. But he's been around for a long time and he has power and wisdom. He's crafty, as the Scriptures say. And his angels, those fallen angels, also known as demons, they mess with us. They try to keep us from following Jesus, from obeying God. And it's scary to even talk about this, isn't it? We, we would rather believe that this is something that's not real and that we can just put that on a shelf somewhere else but it's not true. This is the story of what happened before the world began and what has been happening since God created the world. So how do we conquer? By the blood of the Lamb. By the life, death, and resurrection of the risen Jesus whose blood now speaks a better word. It speaks for us. It redeems us through faith in that. Jesus has conquered, and by the word of our testimony, meaning testifying that the, the, the work of Jesus now applies to us, and we believe in that, we now have power. So that's how Paul could enter Philippi and tell that demon to get out of her, because he had power. And it wasn't his power, it wasn't because he was, you know, Mr. Paul. No, it was because Jesus is living inside of him. So back to Acts 16. What would it look like for us to understand oppression a little more deeply? To understand structural oppression like this, like this young girl was, was, was feeling. Because this is happening all around us. And the reality is this. is to access freedom, you need an advocate. How would Paul have known about the... How, how would this girl have known about the freedom to be found if Paul had not been an advocate? He'd not spoken the truth of the Gospel and the source of the power that she could have to walk a redeemed life with God. We see these, these stories like, the, like the, the naked bloody guy that was from the country of the Gerasenes. You know what I'm talking about? The guy that was crazy and you know, the, the demon went of the pigs and they went over the side of the mountain and then he was like clothed in, in his right mind. He was like just cool, he was chilling. After that happened. Yeah, so we read that story, so what happens when the Holy Spirit redeems a sinner? Redeems someone that is, experiences this depth of oppression is He makes them well. He gives them power to be well. God has that kind of power. What would it look like for you to enter into that a little more deeply? This individual and structural tension, this, this being an advocate for people who have no voice is something that the church really ought to consider. Now, it, it's hard for us to understand because we're so entrenched in our individualism. We just think that everybody can do what we do. We don't know what it's like to be trapped. We don't know what it's like to be tormented by the devil sometimes. And some of us do and we don't talk about it. We just try to fight on our own. There's a... I know a little bit about this because I do ministry in the school. 
there's a, a, an extremely smart boy that I mentor, and, um, and I've been mentoring him not because of his grades or anything like that, because of his, pay, his behavioral issues. And what I begin to know about them is, is, is that his father doesn't live in this country. His father abandoned him. His mother works two jobs and has pretty much abandoned him as well. And so now his mother's friends that he calls his auntie and uncle now raise him. So I'm walking through the halls with him last school year, and, and I said, man, what's going on? You're just acting different. He said, man, he's acting out in class. He's, his behavior's off, and he's off the rails. And he, he says, they don't love me. They don't want me there. I said, what are you talking about? He said, my auntie and my uncle, they, they, they don't want me. They don't treat me like the other kids. Now, let's pause right there. Now, for, me to, to, for me to go to that kid and say, man, you really need to clean up your act. You need to quit being a disturbance in class would completely miss the point that God would have me to, to see and to minister to him in that moment. Because for this kid, he couldn't just get out. He can't just go back to mom and dad. He can't just go to another school. He's trapped. And what's he going to do if he doesn't have an advocate? The Holy Spirit is the advocate for us, and he empowers us to be advocates for people that are in similar situations. But church, we got to walk in the trenches with them. And so, as Paul and his companions are walking through, he's grieved at this, the lostness of this lady. And he knows where to find the power. Now, here's the question. How do you get freedom in Jesus when, when you feel so powerless? We get it through the Gospel. I mean, it's like what Paul says in Romans 7. Who will deliver me from this body of death? It's where he's talking about kind of the tension of, oh man, you know, I want to do this, but I do this, and I don't want to do this, but I do this. And it's like you're trapped. So, who will deliver us? Thanks be to God, Jesus Christ will deliver us. Jesus gives us power. The enslaved lost must see that Jesus has the power to deliver them. Do you believe that this morning? Whatever you're trapped in this morning, whatever addiction that you're struggling with, Whatever thing is tormenting you, however the enemy is attacking you, you believe that Jesus has the power to deliver you. Because he does. Lastly, I'm preaching along here, sorry about that. The, moral, the morally lost, the jailer. Jesus awakens in different hearts. So the jailer, he's just a regular guy. He's pretty indifferent to religion. Uh, most likely a Roman citizen, maybe a retired army guy or something like that. Um, sounds like most people in our community, just indifferent toward Jesus. Yeah, cool, yeah, he wrote, whatever. Right? Am I right? How many times do you meet someone who's just completely indifferent? You know what I've realized? They're completely indifferent when they just hear the words, but when they see the gospel, it confronts them. It changes them. It's what happens with this guy. He's just indifferent. He's got a good job, owns a house as a family. He's living the dream, the Roman dream in Philippi. And, uh, you know, the, the Roman mindset is much like the, the American mindset. Failure is not an option. To fail, you may as well die. And so what do we see happen here? Um, Paul and Silas have been beaten like savages thrown into jail and because they all because they'd stuck their neck out for someone who didn't have a voice to to rescue a girl trapped in slavery and oppression and this jailer is doing his job 
And then this night, a miraculous thing happens. An earthquake occurs, and all of the prison cells break open. I mean, this sounds like something out of a movie, right? I mean, it breaks open, and the prison guard, what's he do? He unsheaths his sword, and he's getting ready to impel himself because he's that desperate. I failed. Either the Romans are going to kill me or I'm going to kill myself. I'm taking the easy way out now. I'm such a failure, I can't do it. His work was everything to him. And failure would result in his death. And Paul cries out, don't harm yourself. Hey bro, we're all still here. We didn't leave. So he turns the light on. And what's the first thing he says? Sirs, how must I be saved? Now, why would he respond that way? Sometimes your witness to the world is more about what you choose not to do when you have an opportunity. Paul and Silas, all those guys could have walked out. God was delivering them. But they cared more about the spiritual deliverance of this jailer than they did their physical deliverance. See, when you know you've been set free by Jesus, the world can do things to you that you used to not be okay with. Now, they had been set free, and now God was setting this jailer free. When the jailer saw the gospel by men who believed in Jesus enough to rescue a girl trapped in slavery, be beaten publicly for it, and sing all night to Jesus because they couldn't sleep, it was a believable gospel. Church, the, the, the problem with the church so many times is that the gospel that we say we believe doesn't produce any fruit in our lives. But when you know Jesus and he lives inside of you, the, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, it does something to the fruit of your life. You produce something different. And we see it in Lydia. We see it in this Philippian jailer. All of a sudden, the purposelessness that he felt in life came to a head. And he realized that he could have a hope beyond being a jailer, beyond being a provider, beyond having a house and a family. That he could serve a significant spiritual purpose all the rest of the days of his life. And that was a better story for him. You know, my, my little brother, we'll close with this, my little brother uh, blew it big time this is, uh, I don't know, five years ago. He, he, he just stopped going to school a senior year. And I guess he thought that nobody would find out. So he just stopped going. And so he gets kicked out of school his senior year. Can't graduate high school. He calls me and he says, hey, bro, how you doing? He's like making small talk. And I'm like, oh, this is not normal. And then I say, hey, what's up? And he goes, well, I'm kicked out of school and I don't want to tell dad. <laughs> He's living with my dad. And, and, uh, and I was talking to my dad. No, no, so I told my brother, I said, listen, okay, you've got till 6 o'clock tonight to tell him or I'm telling him. I laid down like the big brother-in-law. And, uh, and so he tells him, and I said, tell me when you're going to tell him because I need to have my phone ready because dad's going to call me like immediately. And he did. He called me, and he's like, he's fuming. He's like, I can't believe he would do this. And, and what is he doing? He had this great opportunity and now he's going to blow it. He could have went to college. He could have done this. But now, he just because he's tired of playing video games all night, he just doesn't go to school in the morning. Dad blames everything on the video games. Just um, Maybe some of you do the same thing. Um, and, and I kind of let him finish up there. And uh, 
I said, I said, Dad, but how do you feel about this? And he said, I feel like a failure. I feel like I had one opportunity to do something for my son to help, really help him. He had a really bad home life before he moved in with my dad. And he says, I feel like I blew it. And, and I, I said in that moment, in hindsight, I probably could have used some different words. I said, you are a failure. <laughs> anyway, I, I followed it up. Uh, and I said, I said, I said Dad, you're, you're a failure because we're all failures. We, we all fail. We've all fallen short. We've all blown it. We've all not kept up with what we wanted to keep up. And, and we've all done what we didn't want to do. And you are a failure, but there's hope for failures. I was thinking about the story. There's hope for failures. Do, do, the people, do you know this today, that there's hope for failures? I don't care what you failed at, whether it be school or marriage or anything else. I don't care what you Do you know that there's hope for failures? That there's, there's power for failures? That only failures inherit the kingdom of heaven. Did you know that? There's hope for you. I'm going to pray for us here in a second, but I do want you to consider how this story hits you. How, how, how lostness has many faces and how it affects your life. And, and really, the, the, the first question that we got to ask is, is, am I really found by Jesus? Or am I just religiously active? Am, am I found by Jesus or am I enslaved and tormented by the enemy with no power? Am I found by Jesus or am I just moral? Just work a job and have a house and raise a family? Or am I found by Jesus? And, and that's the first thing you've got to ask yourself. And, and, and if, you, if you answer, no, I, I don't think I am found by Jesus. I don't think really God's power is really living in me. I've never really repented and followed Jesus. That's the, that's the opportunity for you today. And I'm not going to do this emotional altar call kind of thing here, but you need to tell somebody that Jesus is kicking down the door of your heart this morning. And I'd, I'd love to be the person you tell, but you need to tell somebody. Secondly, those of you that are following Jesus in here, I think there's a strong encouragement um, for us to drop the shields that we have around us in the sense of we don't hang out with certain kind of lost people. Because you never know who Jesus is going to wake up. And he might use you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time together in your word. Um, thank you for the stories of the saints in Acts chapter 16 in the church of Philippi, Lord. Lord, may... New City Church be a modern-day Philippi. May the story of how the Gospel sweeps through our community and finds people be miraculous to us as we hold out the Gospel and we trust You to do what only You can do to redeem sinners. We pray that all in Jesus' name. Amen.